Welcome everybody to the next edition of the Live Active Shooter Survival um, Training Podcast. My name is Michael Julian. I'm the creator of the Alive program and with me today is my good friend Mark Gillespie. Mark, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mike. How about you? Good, thanks. Mark's out of Texas. How's the weather out there, Mark? Uh, it's a beautiful day today. A little cool, but we've had last week we had mid-70s. Yeah. And then uh, it's been great. Followed into the weekend with excellent weather. And last night it got cold and yeah. it's going to warm up again. Well, it's sunny, but 61 or the highest 61 today, which is a cold front in Southern California. But I'll take it. I was just in Vegas over the weekend for the um, International Protective Security Board uh, annual executive protection conference with uh, like 415 or 430 uh, executive protection agents from all over the world. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the weather was a little bit, a little bit nicer because it's the desert, but it was still a little chilly, but it wasn't too bad. Unfortunately, we um, have uh, two new active shooter events to talk about today. One is um, was on December sixth in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and that was um, that was at a naval air station. Um, a second lieutenant in the Saudi Arabian military, involved in flight training at the station, uh, was the perpetrator. So it, these uh, active shooter events are getting more frequent in uh, military installations here in the u.s which is very alarming and um you know we kind of wonder how in the world do these guys get access to our military you know what are they doing here and that it's it's a little nuts um so that's not good and the second one was december 10th in jersey city now the jersey city incident um by the way in the Alive program, we talk about four different motives, really three with kind of a fourth being an asterisk, and that is the um, criminal activity motivated or associated active shooter event, like the um, Bank of America, North Hollywood shootout after a Bank of America was robbed, you know, 25 years ago. Um, these don't typically, the primary motivation is not, an active shooter event. It's usually something that coincides or comes after an, uh, some kind of criminal activity, a robbery, a theft, whatever. And this one was um, apparently a, a detective approached somebody at a cemetery, cemetery uh, in regards to some kind of homicide investigation and the, the detective was shot and killed and they ended up at a kosher deli in Jersey City and then had a shootout with law enforcement. And that ended up with several people dying, uh, which again, this, you know, the, the, the survival tactics may be the same, but the criminal element or the active shooter event that usually starts with a criminal um, situation is not the typical active shooter event. Those, those guys are focused usually on money and then, you know, they may end up shooting at people like a gang initiation. They go in and rob a donut store or something like that. And then end up, you know, trying to kill everybody afterwards to get their stripes in their gang or whatever. 
in this situation, several uh, people were killed because it was a, um, they ended up at this kosher deli. And then I think in the shootout, people were shot. So let's focus on the Pensacola shooting. Um, you know, we're seeing this more and more often. Um, the Fort Hood uh, also uh, don't recall the, the, the shooter's name, but at a Navy shipyard, um, you know, Marky, what are your thoughts on why, how is this possible that these guys are, are able to do this? We're talking about, you know, military community members that are inside a situation like this and they end up shooting a bunch of other military people. I mean, what, what's going on that these people are able to be there? Well, a couple things are happening. Um, you know, there, there, and there's a couple issues to address. Uh, first of all, most people, the, the, fur, the furthest thing from their imagination would be an active shooter situation on a military installation. We saw at Fort Hood uh, the problem with Major uh, Hassan, I believe his name was. That was that was incredible. You know, I happened I happened to live here at the time, and and uh, that was just a scene of total carnage and. Uh, uh, you know, we never, especially at a place like Fort Hood, you know, it's an army base. It's, it's a major, it's the largest military installation in the world. Uh, the security is extremely tight. But even at that time, I think you know, that was even before active shooter situations were, you know, were on the rise. Um, but in Pensacola, you know, we, the Pensacola case has been surrounded by active shooter cases. Um, of course, many before and one or two after. Um, but on that particular base, you know, it's a, it's a flight base. They do naval uh, uh, aviation training. Um, and when people think about going on to a base, it's, it's very secure. Um, you know, I can have a gun in my, in my vehicle and I can go through the base. I'm, and, and that's, that's legal. Um, so anyone that lives on the base, you know, may have a, you know, may have a, a handgun, you know, within their home or within their vehicle, just as they would off the installation. Well, when you go to your daily work, um, you know, you're not, I don't know what the rules are at Pensacola Naval Air Station, but I, I can tell you that they're not going to allow handguns inside the work, the work center. Uh, in this particular case, since they were pilots, it was undergraduate pilot training, um, you know, they don't, you know, they go to work. It's like going to an office. They go to a hangar. They go to their, uh, you know, every day they're going for classroom and flight instruction. So if they, they can bring a handgun in there relatively easy without being checked. Uh, and I think in most instances, they probably never imagined there would have ever been an incident such as this happening. And I think it's opened their eyes to that reality that, you know what, this can happen and we've said it before. It's not. It's not if it will happen. It's when it will happen. Yep. Um, so I think the problem in this in this particular case is that um, I'm not saying that the, the the naval air station's rules were lax. It was something that no one ever expected this type of scenario to unfold the way it did. Um, and I think they're going to have the. It, you know, it, there's always a cause and effect relationship. Once something happens then we react to it. 
And I think they're going to have to react to this scenario in the future to prevent, you know, future incidents from happening. And, um, and it's going to have a ripple effect all throughout the military uh, in, in terms of, you know, handguns, handgun safety, uh, storing weapons, um, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. But one, one thing that's kind of interesting that, you know, I, I went through uh, in my early Air Force career, I, was, I went through pilot training. I had the unfortunate circumstance to what we call wash out because I had a, a health issue that disqualified me from flying. But I mean, I, I was in a, 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 a training program that taught foreign students. And I can tell you the students that we had were from Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it is, even though we're students together, there is, there is no camaraderie between the foreign students and, and the U.S., you know, the American aviators. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a, a, uh, a political statement or create a, a, you know, a negative statement. I'm just saying that you have people from completely different cultures and countries coming together to learn how to fly and fight. But I can, I can probably tell you that there was not much interaction between those students, those foreign students and the American students. Now, what am I trying to say? Well, all I'm trying to say is that um, there, there was no com camaraderie, no, probably not much affection or love, you know, like, like, a, like you would have on a team. Um, so I don't know how that played into that dynamic of, of the shooting. Um, but it's, it, it, anyway, I just, I don't know if that made any sense. I just thought I would. Well, you know, that, you know, this shooting came just two days. The, the previous week, there was a shooting at the um, Naval, excuse me, um, Pearl Harbor Navy shipyard by uh, somebody in the Navy, and they killed two civilians and then killed themselves. So, you know, obviously, there's a lot of members of military, and, and they suffer from all kinds of different things, and perhaps their coping skills aren't the best, so they end up doing something like this. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's starting to happen more and more often within the military. But then again, that's, that's a representation of what's going on in our society, because these shootings are happening more and more, period, whether of any demographic, military or otherwise. Um, now the going back to the to the the Saudi uh, at, at in Pensacola, you know he was there on a you know training. He was part of the Saudi military, and the Saudi government apparently uh, Trump spoke to the Saudi government, the Saudi uh, king, and you know we have a great America has a good relationship with, with Saudi Arabia, so they expressed their you know their concerns and their sadness over it. But that one is would be attributed to one of the other. Uh, motives, and that is ideology. I ideological. This is apparently uh, religion-based. It was uh, uh, an extreme Muslim viewpoint, uh, anti-Westerner, anti-Christian, whatever, anti-anyone other than Muslim. Um, so that would fit into the to the category of of ideological. So we're seeing more and more of these. Really, like I said, in every in every demographic. Um, you know, and what's the answer? I mean, how are, how are we going to, uh, I mean, profiling is not okay. 
obviously in our in our society today but is that a tool that we should start using i mean is that something the israelis use profiling extensively their people are trained in profiling and rarely does anybody get anything over on them in their homeland when it comes to you know carrying bombs or weapons into an airport or public area so you know it comes down to is political correctness now working against us um, I think probably so, which is not going to be popular with a lot of people, but pro profiling works so well with the Israelis. Uh, if, if we know that most, you know, active, well, actually most terrorists, uh, of any country, religion, whatever, are typically, you know, within what, 17 or 18 and 35, you know, we know that, uh, the, uh, extreme Muslim are of, typically of uh, Middle Eastern descent, you know, though there are m Muslims in a lot of Asian countries as well. Uh, but when it comes down to profiling an active shooter in general, there's, you know, it could be anyone, male, female, any age. And we've seen that historically, that's been the case. So we had two military active shooter incidences uh, or military involved. Um, the, uh, it happened, you know, in, within a, a span of a week. So I'm not sure what in the world we're going to do there. Uh, except continue training. You know, the training is, is I think what is going to help people respond to these incidences. Um, and then of course, continue to build up the security apparatus, whether it be electronic or physical, uh, in organizations and schools, by the way, the, um, Apparently, it happened in a school, a, a classroom setting. So it, it must have been um, the Pensacola shooting must have happened when they were having some sort of training um, for for the airmen. So what are we going to do? Um, it's crazy. Not well. Not you know, it's not going to it's not going to go away. It's going to it's going to continue to happen. Um, you know, what can we do? I think in this particular instance, uh, not only Naval Air Station in Pensacola, but installations across the, the globe are going to, you know, look at their security procedures, uh, you know, do better jobs of uh, in instituting, you know, tighter security. You know, it's kind of like one, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch uh, in regards to, you know, training foreign students you know i think that's kind of been put on on hold uh especially with with the uh, flight school there in pensacola so i think uh, you know they're going to have to look at at vetting these people better you know in the past i i'm not sure that the u.s has done much to uh, they, they, they basically rely on on the um you know the government from the country the students are coming from uh, I'm sure there, to a degree, is is a a, a certain amount of vetting on our part, but uh, I think we're going to have to do a much better job on that in the future. Yep, I gave uh, two alive trainings at uh, facilities last week, and both times, in fact, this is happening more and more often. And I and I I totally agree with it. I don't address, you know, we don't address it in the alive program as much as I would like to, uh, but the program is survival. Uh, it's not prevention, but uh, both, both, uh, groups of people, somebody said, 
you know, what are your thoughts on prevention and specifically mental health? And, you know, I, I, I definitely think if I did a class on prevention, <clears throat> it would be almost entirely focused on how do we, how do we keep people from being in the mindset of wanting to do something like this? You know, we talk about in, in past episodes and in the training, um, we talk about mindset a lot, both of, of our mindset, security and survival and the mindset of the killer and why they do it. And I believe when I, when I talk about is, you know, coping skills, there are people who um, in most of these situations, whether it be the first motive, anger and revenge, the second ideological and the third psychological, um, unless somebody is literally diagnosed as being psychotic, which at that point, coping skills is not going to have anything to do with it because the wiring or chemicals is, is not functioning properly within the brain. Uh, you know, coping skills is what it comes down to. And, you know, when you're upset, if you don't cope with that anger appropriately, you can do something like this. Um, if you're depressed, if you've got a, you know, a, a, some kind of personality or, or emotional dysfunction based on a um, inferior inferiority complex, like some of these kids in schools, you know, they're bullied, they're, they're marginalized, they're turned down by girls, whatever. And um, if the coping skills were there, were enhanced, improved, and they were literally coping with these outside stimulus that is, that is creating an environment that they are not dealing with properly, if they could cope with those situations, the, I believe a, a majority of these people would never get to the place where they're going to do something like this. So, you know, I'm probably going to start researching a little bit more in depth that portion of it, because I believe with the Alive program, we've got a pretty darn good solution or at least guide to do what is necessary functionally and where your head should be psychologically and emotionally to, to cope, to deal with, to survive one of these situations. But I'm really fascinated with the idea of why they get to where they get to and when they get there, how they don't cope with it or deal with it or process it in a more healthy fashion so that, frankly, this sort of thing is just not a solution to them. Um, in, in, the, in the Alive program, we talk about the reason they do this for, is for power and control. Well, it, it, it is power and control, whether it be a, a husband who does this to a wife and her and her coworkers because she left him and, you know, she's filed for hundred percent custody of the kids or whatever. Um, whether, you know, being people, employees or students feeling marginalized or humiliated or whatever um, by, by employees or students. Um, there's, there's gotta be something that can be done to help these people avoid that end. And, um, I know there's, you know, there's been some books on the subject to some degree, but I really believe we're going to have to start implementing something, some policies, um, in schools and workplaces to when these precursors, uh, are recognized to start dealing with these people a little bit more directly. And, and in the, in the training we talk about being just a little bit kinder to our fellow man, but we, we talk about recognition of warning signs. So when we see these warning signs, not only do we have to say something, but then they have to be dealt with appropriately. But we, we've got to start doing something 
to help avoid these. And I think that will, that will absolutely be the most effective way to, um, to start to curb them uh, so that we're not increasing in events and body count every year. We'll, we'll be decreasing. What do you think about that, Mark? Well, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, the problem we're facing is, is we're, we're going to have to reprogram our culture uh, to a great extent on how we, you know, how we step forward with information about other people. Um, you know, we, we live in a time where you say something that another doesn't like and you're facing a lawsuit or you get fired for saying something negative. Um, uh, I remember back when racial profiling back in the, the, the late, uh, late eighties, early nineties was at least in Austin, Texas was, uh, and with Austin police department, that was racial profiling was a huge buzzword. And, uh, you know, they were, um, the, the police chief here was against racial profiling. Uh, but the, 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 the issue with racial profiling was for people to look at, look at signs, not look at, not necessarily look at race, but look at signs and look yeah, at yeah. behavior, look at, you know, to help, to help step into interdict some interdict something that that they think might be happening in the future um, and it's not just racial profiling but it's 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 just you know we we I think over the past 10 or 15 years however long it's been we've just become so prone to being afraid of not saying something in fear of it hurting someone and uh, because people complain about things that people say so you know, it's kind of like now, you, you, you know, we always say, see something, say something. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's hard for people to take that step forward because they're, they fear retribution, reprisals, uh, and that retribution reprisals can be in, in any number of different forms. So it's, although I agree with you, it's going to be a hard, it's going to be a huge paradigm shift from away from what we've um, been led to think. Yeah. And we saw that in, you know, uh, when the FBI interviewed the the neighbors of the husband and wife uh, team back in San Bernardino when they attacked the government building, the neighbors were interviewed and the FBI said, did you see anything that you thought was alarming or any red flags? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We saw this and that and we were concerned about this. And the FBI said, well, why, why in the hell didn't you say something? And the response exactly. was, we didn't want to, you know, be called racist. We didn't think we didn't want people to think that we were racist. Well, because of the political correctness and this, you know, it being so horrible to say anything about anybody for any reason, several people died when that could have been completely avoided. If and again, we talk about in the program, it's not about judging somebody for their sexuality, their religion, the color of their skin, any of that stuff. It's about judging behavior. And it's about speaking out, like you said, see something, say something. If that kind of behavior is witnessed and observed, it's gotta be, it's gotta become socially acceptable because the risk is so great by not saying something to bring to someone's attention, hey, you know, I just thought that uh, I thought this was a little odd. And in the training, we talk about if it's in the workplace or in a school, if, you f if you're close enough to that person, then just ask them directly and say, hey, you look like you're stressed out. I know you've got some stuff going on in your life. 
you know, um, I know you were bullied by the guys on the football team, whatever. Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? And if you're not comfortable with that, then go to a supervisor or go to the HR manager, go to a teacher, go to a counselor, go to a principal and say, I just noticed some behavior and some things that were said by this person that are alarming. And I would hate to not say something and then something terrible happen. So we're just going to have to one recognize the warning signs, which we hammer home in the alive training. And two, once we recognize them, say something. And, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. And, and more often than not, we, it won't be an active shooter, but you know, so many of these active shooters, as we know, are suicidal first, even if we say something and there's some, um, somebody gets involved and they, they talk someone off the ledge, maybe they'll even uh, stop a suicide rather not just a, an act, you know, active shooting and mass killing. Either way, it has got to be the norm to observe and recognize these signs and then talk to somebody about it, whether it be the person that the signs are coming from or someone you know, close to them, above them, uh, at school or at work, whatever. But that's the only way we're going to prevent these things, I think. So, um, well, you know, hopefully next podcast, we won't have any recent events to talk about. We can, I believe we're on the um, uh, impede or violent step uh, that we do at the podcast when we don't have these incidents to talk about. So next time, with any luck, we will, we will be able to do another step of the Alive program. And uh, for any new viewers joining us for the first time, Alive stands for uh, Assess, Leave, Impede, Violence, and Expose. And uh, it's a training program that's been around for over five years and trained thousands and thousands of people and even have at least one person that survived uh, an active shooter in Las Vegas and, and credits the course with, uh, with their survival because they knew what to do and otherwise they believe they would not have known what to do. So anyone interested in the program, it is activeshootersurvivaltraining.com. You can get the book, you can, you can look at the online training, the in-person training. But uh, importantly and exciting uh, to Mark and I, since Mark is one of our instructors, on January 24th and 25th, we will be having another um, Alive um, certified instructor course. So anyone wanting to learn the Alive program and teach it uh, to their employees, to their friends, to their family, uh, to clients, whatever, they will, they will learn the program over a two-day period and, and become certified in that. Mark, do you have anything else before we take off? Uh, not really. I know it's a special time of the year for, for most of us. And I just want to take this opportunity to wish uh, your viewers and listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. May it be safe and filled with love and joy. And uh, hopefully that none of us will be affected by the things we've been talking about here today. Yes. Excellent uh, point, Mark. Thank you. And we will not likely have another live podcast uh, this year in December because of all the things going on. So now is an excellent time for that message. I also would like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, whatever, um, whatever you celebrate. I hope it's wonderful and warm and safe and you enjoy friends. And um, we will look forward to our uh, seeing you again with our next podcast, which will be in early January. Mark, I want to thank you as you, as uh, usual. Uh, you are a phenomenal 
a representation of the Alive brand and a great contributor and a good friend. And I also wish you a wonderful holiday if I don't see you before the next podcast. Thank you for being on, my friend. Thank you. And you too, Michael. All right, everybody. Be safe and have a great, uh, great holiday. Bye-bye.